Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Last week, I started a message. We've, we've, uh, except for some guest speakers and, and other things, only like a one-off message here and there, I've been doing a series on healing, what the Bible has to say about physical healing. And last week, I started a message on why some are not healed. It's always tough because we can get fired up. We see the scriptures, we see the stories, we see the biblical case, we see the reasons, we pray the way we do and believe the way we do, and then we see it not happening to us or to somebody else, and sometimes we're left sad, sometimes we're left scratching our head. And it's a useful question. It's not worth getting depressed about. I think we'll, we'll all arrive more or less at that point by the end of this message. I think you'll be comforted. I think you'll be maybe challenged, but certainly I, I believe you'll be comforted uh, by this message. But it's still sometimes a tough question to ask. Why doesn't it happen? We looked at a couple passages of Scripture that have been used by some people over the years uh, to say that it's simply not always God's will. And that's a pretty easy answer. Why are some not healed? Because God doesn't heal everyone. God doesn't want everyone healed. Uh, we looked at um, back in Exodus when God is speaking to Moses and Moses arguing, well, Lord, I can't. I, 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 I'm not smooth. I, 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 I've got a speech impediment. I can't speak. And God said, who made man's tongue? Who made the deaf, the mute, the blind? Did, I, did not I the Lord? And say, well, see, right there, it's silly to expect to be healed of something when God made you that way in the first place. We, we, as we look closer, we found out that's really not what that scripture is saying. We also looked at Paul's thorn in the flesh and how he prayed three times that God would take it away. And we, as we examined these uh, closely, we see that God was not the author of sickness or disease in either one of those. And if you're interested in, in uh, what we had to say about that, go back and listen to it. It's been recorded and preserved. I'm not going to preach it again today. But both of those passages in the context of the healing argument really deal with whether or not it is God's will to heal. This is the biggest hurdle for believers. Now, there's all sorts of reasons the world doesn't get healed by God, but when we're talking about believers uh, in Christ, the biggest hurdle for most Christians not talking necessarily faith-filled Christians, but most Christians struggle with the idea of healing because the best they can do is say, well, Lord, if it's your will, I would like to be healed. And then can sort of shrug their shoulders and say, I didn't get healed, must not be God's will. But I think we know better than this. You know, I mean, for one thing, if, if, if you're going to start from that position, and this has been said a thousand times, so I'm not going to belabor it, but if you believe, well... If God wanted me to be well, I'd be well. I'm sick, therefore he must have some purpose in this sickness. Well, if that's really our doctrine, then why do we take medicine? Why do we go to the doctor? Why do we work so hard to get out of God's will if it's God's will for us to be sick? And that's a little bit of a facile way of looking at it, but I can't really fault the logic in the argument. If you really think it's God's will that you're sick, then don't try to get better. 
when he wants you better, he'll make you better, right? But I think we are driven and motivated to get healthy by whatever means because we know deep down inside that's what we were created to be, well, right? So we pursue wellness, but ultimately we pursue God and trust that that is what he wants for us. Now, uh, that's, the reason I don't want to belabor that is because that's really still not the question we're trying to answer. So let me cover some stuff quickly and get to it. And I'll start with this. And we've been there before, even in this series, but bear with me. Who did Jesus die for? Who did he die to save? Who? The world. Everybody. So everybody, in one sense, is saved on credit. The work has been done. Salvation is on deposit. But who gets saved? Only those who believe, those who confess, those who call on the name of the Lord. Not everybody is going to be saved, even though salvation is available to everyone. So why don't? If the price has been paid and the work has been done, why don't they receive it? Some just don't believe in God. There's, a, there's, a, there's dozens of reasons. Some don't believe in God. Some people believe in God, but they have no sense of needing to be saved. They scoff at the idea of a conversion because I'm a good person. I believe in God. What do I need to be saved from? Uh, there's no hope for salvation in some cases, meaning they struggle with guilt. They feel they are beyond saving, beyond redemption. Uh, sometimes people are not saved because there is misplaced trust in works, misplaced trust in tradition rather than recognizing the biblical need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And one more reason, I'm not saying this is all of them, some people will not turn to Christ because they are unable to turn from the world. They will not repent because they love the world. And they recognize before they confess Christ. If they, if they would simply turn to Jesus and allow him to reveal himself to them, they would be able to stop loving the world. But if they, they start from the position, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to give up too many things that I love, and I'm just not ready to do that. So, now in the same sense that salvation is available to the whole world, healing is available to all believers. It is part of the salvation package. If you believe in Christ, then healing belongs to you, whether you know it or not. But you have to know it to get it. Now, but it's the same thing. The price has been paid, the work has been done, but some will not receive for a number of reasons. Now, one of them we've pretty much covered. I'm not saying we've exhaustively covered it, but we spent quite a bit of time on, on, on this, which is lack of knowledge concerning God's will. If you don't know that it's God's will for you to be healed, it's very tough to stand in faith for it because faith begins where the will of God is known. Uh, some people will not receive healing because they have a cessationist view on miracles and gifts. In other words, God can do miracles, but he seldom does. And the gifts, the spiritual gifts, gifts, as Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those have ceased. They ceased when the apostolic age came to an end, after the church was established, or when the canon of scripture was closed, or all three. But that's what the gifts were for, just to kickstart the church and maintain it until we had the whole Bible. Uh, so, we know better than that, right? This is not a cessationist church. We believe, and it's very, very obvious, I think, in the whole council of Scripture, that the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation. They are still for today, and miracles can be as plenteous as they ever have been. 
if we would simply make room for them and believe. Last week, I ministered healing at the beginning of the service, and I emphasized that a gift of healing was in operation. Now, you have to understand, I will pray for you. I will pray for the sick. I will lay hands on the sick. I'll minister healing in whatever manner, anytime. Sometimes we'll just do it at the end. We always make a, a place for somebody to, be prayed, uh, somebody to pray for you, minister healing to you at the end of every service. Uh, and if you call me, I will pray with you on the phone. If you come, come to me, I will pray for you in person. If you come into the office, whatever, I'll pray for you at any time. But that doesn't necessarily mean a gift is in operation. doesn't mean that if the gift's not in operation, you won't be healed. Sometimes you're healed by faith. Sometimes you're healed by something else. But if, if when God impresses upon me, this is the gift that I am distributing today in your midst, then something special. I was, you could tell. Many of you could tell that I was very excited about that. Uh, and this is, again, one of the gifts, you know, gifts of healings. This is in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And because of that, because I was so convinced I was responding to an unction by God to operate in that gift, I find it very hard to believe that of all the people that came and responded to that, that more people did not experience a manifestation of that healing than I have already heard about. Three people have testified to me that what they have received now, and I am personally convinced that more of you did, and I'm going to get into this a little bit today about why it's so important to testify. To testify when you experience a manifestation of your healing. Uh, celebrate it when God's Word works manifestly in your life. Again, when, when Matt Gordon uh, shared that at prayer, I immediately said, you need to share that with the rest of the church because when he, when he shared it at prayer, he said he came up, and, and I... I I recognize that same struggle. Well, I've already prayed. I've, I'm already believing. I don't need hands laid on me. But it's like, well, I ordered my package, uh, and now UPS is delivering it to the door. Am I not going to go to the door and get it? You know, it's only, there's, you still, hey, okay, it's here. Now, now go get it. Here's the gift. Go up and get it. Here's the answer to what you've been praying for. Here's the manifestation for what you've been believing for. Um, but sometimes, you know, there's an old joke. I don't know. Bear with me, because I've probably told it before if you haven't heard it somewhere else, about a guy, he had a very important meeting he had to get to, and he was running late. And he knew the only way he could be on time is if he found a really good parking spot, and it's a busy time of day. He's driving, and he's just praying. He wasn't a praying man, but he said, Dear Lord, it is so important that I make this meeting on time. Will you please get me a good parking space so that I'm not late? I will be in church. He starts making all sorts of rash promises. I'll be in church every Sunday. I'm going to start giving. I will stop drinking. I will do anything you ask me to if you will just give me a good parking spot. And just at that moment, a car that was parked right in front of the building he was going to pulls out, leaving room for him to pull in. And he said, never mind, God, I found one. Get it? And I think subconsciously, sometimes we come up to have healing ministered to us. And then we, we are prayed for. And because we don't feel a bolt out of the blue, because we don't feel the virtue, I don't feel the, you know, Jesus, you know, when the woman with the issue of blood, so he felt the power going out of me, he felt the virtue going out of him. 
Uh, I don't always, feel, I rarely feel anything when, when I'm laying hands on you. I don't feel electricity or anything like that. I'm responding in faith. And maybe you don't feel a zap. Maybe it wasn't an instantaneous healing, but you realize the next day, I'm better. And I think subconsciously we think, well, I guess I really didn't need prayed for because I was getting better. Do <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not saying we consciously do that, but we're like, eh, wasn't as bad as I thought it was. How do you know you were going to get better? How do you know you wouldn't have been worse but for the gift of healing in operation? You were sick enough to come up or hurting enough to come up to a prayer line. If you're better the next day, you better thank God and testify. Share it with us. I'll get into a little bit more about why that's important later. A uh, couple other things about the gifts in operation. Now, this wasn't the case last Sunday. It was simply, hey, come receive healing because the gift of healing is in operation. But many times, you've seen it or heard it, somebody will come up with a specific word, word of knowledge. One of the other gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, the Lord is showing me that somebody is dealing, and that it would be a condition-specific uh, you've got a uh, particular disease, you just got a bad diagnosis, you're, you're hurting in this particular part of your body, come up and be healed. Now, if somebody has the word of knowledge, <laughs> and I'm not trying to be facetious here, but if the word of knowledge concerns a sickness or a disease or a, a pain, I think we can more or less take it for granted that there are two gifts in operation. One is the word of knowledge, one is the gift of healing, because God is not a circus act. He's not going to bless you with the ability to perceive. He's not going to give you a word. Somebody out here has got excruciating pain in their shoulder. And so you call it out, and the person says, that's me. Hey, thanks, I'll be here all week. I'll tell somebody else what they're hurting from. Now. Why is God calling that out? Why is he giving us that word of knowledge? So that they can receive healing, right? So... When there's a word of knowledge about a specific condition, the gift of healing is in operation too. Don't ever say, well, he didn't call out my pain, so I'm not going to get prayed for. No, if the gift of healing is in operation, it doesn't need to be calling out your specific pain. You just come in. Let me give you a kind of a scripture that addresses this. Uh, look with me at John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. John 5, 1, after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then... Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? Is that me doing that? Is it the battery? Let's see how long we can deal. I don't think it's brushing anything. Yeah, but it is coming from my microphone. All right. I'll try to get this done in five minutes so we don't have to interrupt it with the battery change, all right? 
So he'd been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while, while, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Now this is a mysterious passage for at least a couple of reasons, right? Um, let's see if we can demystify it at least a little bit. For one thing, you know, it says that an angel came periodically and stirred up the waters. It doesn't say how often. Uh, doesn't say it was once a year. Doesn't say it was once a week. We don't know. But it was something that happened from time to time, and people would wait to see the, the, the water stirred up. Um, for another thing, there is a, uh, there's a way of reading this that whoever got in the, that would go like this, whoever got into the water as soon as it was stirred, that when you say oh, whoever first got into the water, doesn't necessarily mean that only one person could be healed. But the water, I think the, a more accurate picture of what's being saying here is you had to get in the water while it was stirring and it didn't stir very long. You had to be ready. That's why they waited at the pool. Well, this guy still couldn't get in fast enough. It could mean that only the first person got healed, but that seems really weird. Uh, it's also worth noting that uh, some of the more scholarly translations don't even include that part about the angel come and troubling the water. It doesn't say that part at all. But that makes it a little more confusing when the guy, when the paralyzed guy says, well, no one, I, whenever the water is stirred, I have no one to put me in. Well, what's stirring the water? And some will say, well, this wasn't miraculous at all. It was like a mineral pond. It had medicinal properties. Kind of like, and it erupted occasionally like Old Faithful. It was some sort of natural reaction. I think we can discount that. It wasn't just something medicinal about this water. I think it was something about a moment that, that they were waiting for that, that that uh, passed on a miracle cure to whoever got in the water. But I do think it makes more sense that more than one person could be healed. And if it was just the first person, I think it probably had to do with people, ah, that guy got in first, what's the point? And they gave up, they quit. When as long as the water's still stirring, jump in, get your healing. Now, um, Jesus goes to him. And this is the other mystery. You've got all these sick people laying around the pool waiting for the stirring of the water. Why does Jesus step over all of them, a great multitude of sick people, to get to this one guy? Because this one guy could not come to Jesus. These other sick people could have gone to Jesus and chose to, wait, to go to the pool and wait for the stirring of the water. This guy could also not get himself into the water. But Jesus was operating in a healing gift. A healing gift was present that was much more powerful than the stirring of the waters. The rest could have called out to him at that moment, I believe. But remember this. This is important and something else we're going to look at too. It's easy to say Jesus was able to do everything he did, all these miracles, because after all, he's God in the flesh. And he was. In terms of his identity, Jesus is and was God the Son. But the Bible also tells us explicitly that he laid his glory aside. He operated as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. The reason he was able to do it so powerfully is because what he didn't have that every other man has, every other man and woman is, a sin nature. 
So he had the spirit without measure and the gifts operating at 100% capacity without any sin, any doubt, any of the other things that sin drags into our lives to overcome. So this was a gift of healing in operation. And here's where I'm going with that. I think, in that sense, the stirring of the waters could be compared to a specific condition being called out. All right? When that happens, there is another gift in in operation, the gift of healing. So it's like, well, the the water is stirring. The the, the Spirit is operating in our midst. Here's a condition-specific thing that you can come up and be healed of, but everybody else can say, there's a gift of healing in operation. I'm jumping in that water. I'm going to get healed of this because the gift of healing doesn't, doesn't do triage. It is, it is not prejudiced for one type of sickness or disease over another. So, uh, do you, I, I referenced the woman with the issue of blood. And we always focus, or I always focus on, after this miracle happens, that Jesus turns to her and doesn't say, I have made you well. What's he say? Your faith has made you well. And we always focus on the importance of the woman's faith and therefore the importance of our faith in the process of healing. And that is absolutely true. All I want you to notice today or remember today is Jesus wasn't there for the purpose of healing the woman with the issue of blood. You remember this, right? He was on his way somewhere else. Where was he going? He was going to minister healing to the daughter of Jairus. He was operating, flowing in that healing gift, and this woman picked up on that somehow in the spirit and said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well too. And so she did, she receives her healing, and did not steal anything from the little girl Jesus was going to heal. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, sorry, Jairus, I was all primed to heal your daughter, but this woman got half of that power, and what I have left is not enough to heal your daughter. No, he not only had enough power to heal her, he had enough power to raise her from the dead. There's no shortage, there's no lack, there's no limit in the healing power of God. So yes, speak to your body, speak to your circumstances, speak the promises of God, claim them by faith with your mouth, but don't neglect the opportunity to take advantage, to avail yourself of a spiritual gift in operation. Now, let's get closer to the question we all want answered, because most of us, we know that it is God's will to heal. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, just as they were in the early church. So why do any of us struggle with receiving healing? Because I think we're convinced it's not bad doctrine. Our doctrine's right. And let's be man enough and woman enough to acknowledge, first of all, that there is no one-size-fits-all answer to this question. Just as there are numerous reasons why people don't come to Christ, there are numerous reasons why Christians don't receive healing. So let's look at just a few of these, and let's acknowledge that there exist at least these possibilities. One, we are saying that we believe and we are confessing the promise of healing in this case, but we are not contending for the faith when it comes to obedience. 
I will quickly remind you and myself that we are not under the law. Our obedience does not purchase our salvation. But obedience is still important. And I have maintained for years, and I know most of you agree, that the highest expression of faith is actually obedience. If we know the will of God as it pertains to our lifestyle, and we refuse to submit to that, then we are not walking in faith, no matter, else, no matter what else we're saying about any other circumstance. It's kind of like a matter of claiming the benefits of salvation without taking seriously the responsibilities we have as believers. Again, let's be super careful because we don't earn our healing any more than we earn our salvation. But if the word of God is powerful, my jaw, if the word of God is powerful, it is not just powerful to heal, it's powerful to transform us. And we need to be speaking that over ourselves as well. Transform our minds, our values, our speech. We take it all seriously. If you will take it all seriously, I believe with all my heart that you will begin to see the benefits much more easily. Another thing is, we struggle, many of us, to see this as already done. Even though we are faith people, it's tough to remember that faith is not us getting God to do something. It's not even trusting that God will do something. It is being convinced that it's already done. And the best parallel to that, again, is salvation itself. When you, with all your heart, when you recognize your sin and you cry out to God for forgiveness, for salvation, for his presence in your life, you have to know that God at that moment is not going to say, all right, Jesus, now go to the cross for that person. He went to the cross once for all 2,000 plus years ago. Whenever somebody is saved, all they are doing is availing themselves of something that has belonged to them already. It's already been done. It is the same thing with healing. There was a guy, I won't name him, and the name wouldn't mean very much to most of you anyway, but he was a young, fired-up evangelist with a great ministry, just had a knack for leading people to the Lord, even ministered healing, a beautiful young wife. They were just up-and-coming power couple in, in, in uh, some faith circles, and uh, he was stricken with cancer. And uh, toward the end of his battle, uh, Doug Jones was there with him. Many of you know Doug Jones, big shot down at Ramah. And uh, Doug, and Doug shared this story in this church many, many years ago. He said, many of you remember this guy. He says, he's lying there, and he's holding my hand, looking up at me with this weak smile on his face, saying, God's going to do something, isn't he, Brother Doug? God's going to do it, isn't he? And Doug said, I knew at that moment that whatever else this man was, he wasn't in faith. He's believing and confessing, waiting for God to do something. He's not convinced he's already done it. Now, that sounds like a pretty harsh thing to say, when somebody's in the throes of a sickness like that. But again, let's be grown-ups, let's be honest. Sometimes we don't get healed because we're not in faith. Have you, can you look back on a time in your life when you prayed and you look back and say, I was praying, but I wasn't in faith. Anybody but me? 
Two of us, wow, and the rest of you are phenomenal. Wow, let me sit at your feet. You guru, you. Anyway, so yeah, uh, we struggle seeing it as not done, and, and then tied in with that, we've already gone there, is our faith is lacking. And these things are all tied together, you understand. Uh, read this with me in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the water, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? If, G if Peter is going to be at least chastised, call it a mild rebuke for having little faith when he actually walked on the water? What does that say about my faith? What does it say about your faith? Now again, I don't think that we can just build up our faith and just step out onto a swimming pool just to see if it works. Because where does faith begin? Where the will of God is known. How do we know this was God's will? Because Jesus said, come. Peter was smart enough. He didn't stand up and say, oh, Jesus, watch how much faith I have. Bloop. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come. Because if you command me to come, you will enable me to come. There's where the faith was. There's where the foundation for faith was. Still, that sounds like a lot of faith to me. Water walking faith is always going to seem like big faith. But Jesus said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I think what he must have meant was that it simply didn't last long enough. A lot of us can have big faith for a moment, but does it last? When did it turn into doubt? When he got his eyes off Jesus and onto the wind and the waves. When he got his eye, and that's what happens to us. We'll have big faith in the prayer line, big faith in the meeting, because we're hearing testimonies, we're singing songs, we're fired up, and then as soon as we get our eyes off Jesus and onto the circumstances, our faith turns to doubt. Keep your eyes on the prize, church. Keep your eyes on the promise of healing, the stripes on Jesus. That is where your healing is. That's where your faith rests. To say our faith is lacking might not mean you don't believe enough. But it might just mean you give up too soon. You spend too much time and energy considering the circumstances, the sickness. I've told this story. I won't tell the whole thing. We don't have time. But my second big back episode, not this one I had a, a week or so ago, but the, 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 the bad one 15 years ago. It was protracted. It was many, many weeks. And I was out of strength, got a word from the Lord, from the men's prayer group. I, I took heart again, but I did not receive my healing for four more days. But... Had, I still am convinced I can't prove it medically. 
I believe had I given up, had I just stopped, stopped my speaking, stopped my confessing, stopped my praying, I would not have received that healing four days later. It wasn't like this was just going to happen automatically. I had to keep fighting for four more days. But then when I received it, I've received it pretty much all at once. I went to bed sore and woke up well. I was blind and now I see. It was that stark a difference. So this is what I encourage you. And you know, again, I say that was protracted. I say that was a lengthy battle because it was several weeks. And I think of Jenny. I think of others who have been fighting a much longer battle. And all I can say is, don't give up. It might be this Thursday. It might be tomorrow. It might be today. But it won't be if you stop, if you stop confessing, if you stop believing. Don't let your faith be little in the terms of the length of time it lasts. Finally, maybe the most comprehensive answer I can give you to the question, why are some not healed? And you'll want to write this down. I don't know. It's a better answer than you think. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 8. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now, very quickly, many of you know, I mentioned cessationism earlier, the belief that the gifts have passed away, that the Holy Spirit doesn't operate the way he did in the early church, the apostolic age, whatever. This is one of the favorite texts that is used to argue for cessationism and against the gifts, which is saying, look, Paul himself said the gifts weren't forever. They're going, tongues is going to pass away. Prophecy is going to pass away. But when? He tells us when. When that which is perfect has come. So they'll say, well, you know what that means. It's talking about the Bible. The Bible was still being written. We didn't have the whole Bible, but when the complete or perfect Bible is done, when the canon is closed, then these stopgap measures, these in-part things like prophecy and words of knowledge, uh, they'll, they'll be done away with. There'll be no more need for tongues. But that's not what it says. If we just read just a few more verses. What does it say? For now, when we're operating in all these gifts, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, what? Face to face. We are, the then he's talking about, the that which is perfect he's talking about is us being in the manifest presence of Jesus. The reason tongues will cease, prophecies will cease, the gifts will cease is because there will be absolutely no need for them in heaven. Then the things that we dimly understand now, we will clearly understand. So meanwhile... We need the gifts, right? Now, 
what I'm trying to say about healing here is that our understanding, while we, while we are in this world, I guess there will always be an element, uh, there will be a lack of clarity. Our vision will always be a little clouded. Our understanding will never be perfect and complete until we are face to face with him. We should grow in understanding. We should expand our vision. We should see things more clearly now than we did a year ago. But it's still, compared to heaven, it's going to be like looking through a dirty window. We should expect that. Because our minds, just like our, our physical members, have been tainted by the sin nature that we've been freed from. We're limited in these bodies. We're limited in this earth. So the fact is, anybody who can tell you, I can tell you with 100% certainty why everybody who, ne who didn't get healed didn't get healed, doesn't know what they're talking about either. People are very quick to say, well, the reason is, oh, we all become Job's friends at some point when we start talking about this point. You know, if it wasn't for some sin in your life, this wouldn't have happened. Or you think you're believing, but you're just not believing hard enough. Always what we want to do is say, somehow this is your fault because it's not God's. Well, I agree, the sickness doesn't come from God. But, to, but, but the reason we want to throw it off on people very quickly is we want to say, that won't happen to me. Let's be merciful with people. Let's be gentle with people. Let's be gracious with people. And just say, when it doesn't happen like, like we think it's supposed to happen, even if it doesn't happen like we know it's supposed to happen, let's just say, you know what? I don't know why. I don't know why that story ended this way. Here's the important part. And by the way, that, that's been my position on this for many, many years. People ask me, how come, it, if, if what you say is true, if that's your take on Scripture, why didn't it always work? I don't know. I see now it's through a glass darkly, through a mirror, in a mirror dimly. I'll understand it more clearly later. Right now? And then I heard another minister say practically the exact same thing. Little-known guy named Keith Moore was speaking at uh, the RMAI retreat a few years ago. You remember, remember him saying it? He got up, he said, people come up and ask me, Brother Keith, you preach an awful lot about healing. You talk like you, I know you really believe this stuff. But if all that's true, why did old aunt so-and-so have to die? Why did grandma die young? Why did, so why did my sister or brother, he said, they come out with these specific cases. And you want to tell them? I don't know. I see now it's through a glass darkly. And I'm like, yes, I'm in good company. Now, not that Keith Moore is the final arbiter of, of every question of faith, but, but uh, I was comforted. But, but here's what he went on to say, and this is the part that sticks in, 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 with me, is all I know to do is what the Bible tells me to do. I'm not going to stop praying for the sick because of individuals who don't get healed. I don't base my doctrine on dear aunt so-and-so or grandma or your brother or your child. I'm not going to build my doctrine around your experience. I'm not even going to build my doctrine around my experience. What does the Bible say? By his stripes I'm healed. What does the Bible say? Go, pray, heal the sick. Pray for one another. 
tells us to do these things, it makes promises. It's not my job, I don't see my job description anywhere having to explain to the world or anybody else why it didn't work. I'm supposed to just continue working it. To be obedient. That is my act of faith. And by the way, don't you, don't, I said this a while back, don't throw away 99 things you know because of one thing that you don't know. Don't abandon 99 things that make sense to you and that you understand because you bump into something you don't understand. Don't let what happens to you form or change your doctrine. You could look at it like this. A thousand may fail to get healing on one side and 10,000 at your right hand. You still believe in healing. You still preach healing. There's a little play on Psalm 91. But I think the message is the same. Even in the midst of contrary circumstances, God's promises work. And it's one more reason to testify. Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. If you experience healing in your body, give thanks to God and let one another know about it. Because it's super encouraging to be reminded that in real time, no, I'm not one in a thousand or one in ten thousand. This is God at work in our midst. You hear me? Because a big chunk of this has been, don't be dismayed when you see it not working. But that's a lot easier when you don't hear from the people that it's actually working for. Encourage one another. This isn't, when you testify, you're not bragging, look what I got. Look what my faith hath got me. It's praise God. This works in my life. It's working in our midst. It will work for you. It's good to hear the stories of, it's a, not, well, why did, why did Larry Millis have to die? He fought that disease for all those years. Why did he die? He's the one who taught us faith. That's not what I'm called to, to minister on. I'm called to pray for you, to speak healing to you, to minister healing to you. And that means I want to hear from the ones who say, it's too bad what happened to him, too bad what happened to somebody else. I'm telling you, I got healed. I'm telling you, when I prayed for so-and-so, they got healed. Testify, encourage, and, and, and we'll see that these things are not rare. We're just not hearing enough from you. So if you get a manifestation of your healing, either in a prayer line, over the phone, or whatever, let us know. Email the office or offer to share your testimony with the church because that testimony is not just for you. Amen? Praise the worship team, you're up here. Let me say this very quickly, and we'll move on and close with a uh, healing confession and then a song probably. Uh, going back to one of the early messages in this series, I want to remind you that the healing I'm talking about, along with promises of provision, protection, deliverance, restoration, these are all part of the gospel. Everything that we claim in that realm is only ours because of what Jesus Christ has already done. We are not asking God for a special favor. We are recognizing that this is something he provided when he laid those stripes on Jesus' back. It was all done through the mechanism, through the process, through the agony of the cross. So while God, I'm sure, people can, have, can testify that before they were even saved, God used somebody to pray for them and they were healed. God can heal whoever he wants, whenever he wants. He can use anybody he wants to manifest that healing. But it belongs to you 
if you are a believer. Stand up with me if you can. If you have confessed Christ as your Lord, then healing belongs to you too. That's not the reason to get saved. There are better reasons to get saved. You were created for a purpose. You were created for a life with the Creator, with your Heavenly Father. But we can't have that because of our sin. Our sin separates us from God, and the only way He can reconcile us to Himself is to pay the penalty for our sin. So all of your sin, all my, all my sin, was laid on Jesus, and God's wrath was poured out on Jesus at the cross, and that penalty, that, that debt has been paid. But like I said at the beginning of this message, you still have to avail yourself of it. If you have never personally confessed Christ as Lord, now is your opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer here in just a second, then I'm going to invite you to respond. But the Bible says, Paul writes in Romans, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Heavenly Father, you know the heart of every man, woman, and child in this room today. And if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you as Father, who has not experienced salvation, that new birth, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, that you would nudge them, that you would convict them, that you would convince them now of their need for that and convince them also of the urgency of this moment. Grant them the boldness to come and receive the free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody want to say today, that's me, I desire to be saved. I want to be born again. I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord. Anybody, for the first time. Okay. I'm going to uh, lead us in a confession here, but before I do, let me say this. Because I don't know everybody in here, so I don't know where everybody is. If you want to pray that prayer and you just didn't want to pray it in front of everybody, maybe you thought, well, I would have raised my hand, but then he probably would have had me come up front. I probably would have. I'm not trying to be sneaky about it, but if you just didn't want to do that, see me right after church. Talk to me. Just say, hey, Scott, I needed to do that. I promise you God will still save you. All right? But let's say this, uh, and I don't know where we're going next week. We might have some, some more things to do on healing. I'm, I'm just open to hear, uh, see where God takes us. But let me, let's just say this. I'm going to say this, and your, this becomes your confession with your amen. You can amen anywhere in the middle of this, or you can say a big amen at the end, but you don't need to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for healing me. Thank you that through the finished work of Jesus Christ, I am entitled to every good thing you promised the righteous. I have been made righteous because I've been clothed in your righteousness. I am in Christ, and in Christ there is no sickness. There is no lack. There is no sin. So I stand before you in your eyes, righteous and sinless, and lay claim to the things that you said I can have, and one of the chief among those, Lord, is healing. I receive it for my body now, and I declare that because of those stripes on his back, healing has been purchased specifically for me and my household. And I declare that because of that, I can speak to my body, to my, the, my members authoritatively, and declare that I am free of sickness, disease, malfunction, disorder, everything that rises up against good health in every part of my body, 
every bone and muscle, every gland and organ, every blood vessel, every joint, ligament, tendon, nerve, cell, and tissue, and all the spaces in between. Thank you, Lord, for healing me. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Can we go out song? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.